main fair is sort of New England stories, New England topics, New England travel and places. But really, can, uh, we can do anything we want, pretty much. My last story was on the opioid crisis oh. up in Gloucester and a program they have up there. But the following one is on Monhegan Island, this little artist colony in yeah. Maine. So the spectrum is pretty wide. It's the opioid crisis. It's pretty hard-hitting reporting there. You decide you want yeah, to, like... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say that's not our typical fare, but yeah. uh, there's room for it. How do those things come about? Is it um, the specific reporter approaches you with a story idea? I can be that way. Uh, I keep, I'm keep. i a big reader, and I keep voluminous files of yeah. things that interest me. And uh, if they, if, I, if uh, disparate little pieces create a, a critical mass, I can see kind of a theme show. Uh, you know, I'll put, put them together and yeah. do something on on a topic, one topic or another. Not unlike um, uh, This American Life. It'll have a theme. It'll yeah. be made up of several different kinds of sh- stories, that kind of thing. That's one of the things that's always impressed me about that show specifically is the restraint that they must have in terms of having all of these really cool ideas but floating around for a really long time and waiting for it to really gel into something yeah. larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have the right pieces and they have to have the right weight and counterbalance. And when you can see it all working together, yeah. then you plow forward. Sounds like a pretty good gig. It's been tremendous. I, I mean, I, um, I started uh, in television... You know, after the music stuff, I went to grad school here in Boston at BU and got a broadcast journalism degree uh, and fell into this job in 1990. Yeah. So I've been doing the same exact <laughs> thing, if, if looked at from one angle, same exact thing for 27 years now. Just as challenging, yeah. just as interesting, just as fun now, in a lot of ways, a lot more fun than I was when I was truly faking it now i'm just mostly faking it it's a crazy thing about time we were talking before the mics turned on about the fact that really i mean the thing that you're most known for really at its first iteration was about four years it was a brief yet magical yeah moment in time now you've been doing this current job for five times that yeah i mean if people ask me what i do i say i'm a television producer yeah I don't really think of myself as a musician. I mean, it was a, a brief thing in the 80s or the late 70s, then a, a very curious and strange <laughs> reoccurrence, like a bad herpes sore. Like the, a good herpes sore. Like a good herpes sore in uh, the 2000s, yeah. which was more fun than we had any right to expect. But, um, yeah, just sort of kind of things are back down into uh, what I consider normalsville. How seriously... Did you take music back in oh, those I, days? Oh, I mean, it was blood and guts, yeah. total uh, sound and fury, all in, total immersion. I mean, I was obsessed with music growing yeah. up. Obsessed. Obsessed. I mean, just a, a proselytizer, the obnoxious guy at the party <laughs> who would play the song over and over again on the record player and, and because like I was worst, afraid people yeah. weren't getting it. And the worst song to dance to in most oh, cases, yeah. probably, oh, right? Totally undanceable. <laughs> And uh, just get infuriated with yeah. people and yeah. yell at bands that I that didn't meet meet my standards. Just a total obsessive music nut. And so you know, starting a, a band, uh, Mission of Burma, uh, I couldn't believe I was actually, you know, part of something like that in the late seventies, eighties. I was so electrified by the music that was happening then, 
it was uh, you know a time of really you know, just supernova yeah. creativity and stunning surprise, uh, and to be in the middle of all that was uh, uh, just incredible. Of course, I was not doing healthy things and all that, and I could have experienced it more richly. Were you in school at the time? No, I wasn't in school. When I was in school, I was in, I went to school in in Rochester, New York, the mm. University of Rochester, and. Uh, Somehow, vaguely, had my, you know, had New York at the end of it, so I thought I'd be near New York City. <laughs> I wasn't near New York City. No, not at all. Uh, and I had been, I had been going to uh, New York City forever. I mean, yeah. uh, as a little mini hippie, twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old, I go into the, the Fillmore. You know, we were talking about uh, Fillmore East, know, yeah, yeah, th- that area, and uh, Astor Place, and yeah, go in there, and then I, I kind of, then I got excited by the. Um, the glitter scene and uh, sort of the glam rock scene yeah. that was happening at Max's. And I used to get up on my platforms and put on uh, makeup with my friends. And we'd go in there with our long suburban hair and uh, see the dolls and Wayne County and stuff. And that sort of... So anyhow, the, the upshot being, I was always into New York and uh, the music scene. And when I was up at Rochester... We'd make pilgrimages down to New York to see uh, the new music that was happening then, which was mid-70s, and so it was television and talking heads. Yeah. And how did you wind up out here? I had no connection to Boston, but I had a friend of a friend who was starting a band. Uh, This friend was very dear to me, and I trusted his judgment. He introduced me to his uh, this this other guy, Eric Lindgren, who was starting a band up here in Boston. Uh, and, uh, you know, I packed up my Toyota with a big bass amp and a little uh, satchel of clothing and moved up here to Boston to, uh, you know, that was my Conestoga wagon. You know, I was just pitching, you know, all my all my gear and heading out for, for adventure up to the yeah. frontier. It sounds like, at least in the back of your mind, there was the idea of coming out here and, and being a musician. It, oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I moved here to be, to join this guy's band. Okay. And, uh uh, to become a, uh, you know, part of this hyper exciting underground music scene that was happening at the time. So that was '77. So one thing led to another. It's an interesting choice. I mean, obviously the the um, the opportunity was extended to you, but otherwise, why Boston over New York? Because it seemed like uh, it was so much in my life. It was the uh, path of least resistance. This guy was starting a band. <laughs> I said okay, <laughs> and I just I yeah. just did it. I um I wasn't you know I I wasn't I didn't expect to be writing music. Um, I just wanted to be I just wanted to sneak into this scene any way I could through the back door. So this guy had a band. Okay, well maybe I'll join that band. Uh, I'd always been in bands through high school and college of different types, but I hadn't written music and I had no expectation of writing music. So, you know, I just uh, joined this guy along. I liked the way he thought about music, and yeah. I enjoyed the music that I heard that he'd made. So, Did Boston seem a little bit more accessible in terms of I don't think it was group? that. No. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it was that. Uh, I'd always sort of heard great things about the Boston music scene, yeah. and I knew there were a lot of students up here. So um, I knew that it had a youth culture up here. I knew things were going on at the Rat. I grew up in Connecticut, outside of New York, with um, one of my friends was uh, Jeff Conley, Mono Man, who had uh, come up here to BU 
and ended up in a band called DMZ, uh, one of the early Boston punk bands, and just a, a blazing, blistering mess, just awesome music. And uh, he was so hyper excited. He he would write me, and uh, he would come home at uh, holidays and tell me about this scene up in Boston yeah. and the Rat, and that he you know was on stage with Patti Smith and. You know, Willie Alexander, I knew about Willie Alexander. I'd seen him at, at CB's and Max's. And I was, you know, his single, uh, Mass Ave, was like one of the the very earliest self-produced records. I'd, I'd been listening to that since 74 or something. So there, I had a lot of good vibes about uh, yeah. Boston. So uh, that, that, that all affected me, I suppose. I mean, I love New York. New York... God, New York. I mean, I grew up outside of New York, yeah. and I, that's where I experienced all my music at the Fillmore, at Club Eighty Two, at Max's. But I, but I was open. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the same sort of feelings. I have this, you know, I am from outside of San Francisco, and I have the same kind of warm, fuzzy feelings about that city too. Mm-hmm. Where, in a way, I mean, it, whatever your first real experience is with a city, that kind of shapes your notion of what it is and those feelings don't really go away <laughs> every time oh, yeah. I, I land in sfo and go across the bridge i mean i always get a little tinge of excitement I've, li- I've been living in new york for 14 years and i've been living in this giant urban metropolis but there's still something and i can't quite put my finger on it but there's still a sense of excitement that i get every time i go to san francisco oh yeah naturally of course now i go to new york and i feel like a total tourist yeah i don't know which way the avenues go anywhere <laughs> anymore and yeah i just I, I there's nothing the same you know soho doesn't look anything yeah like soho when we were hanging around or, yeah it's the same here i mean you're outside the city now and you were telling me that you lived in cambridge for a while i mean it's this is surely not the cambridge that you lived in no it's it's pretty fine but yeah. it's still lively was there an expectation that you were going to just make it for that you could be a career-long musician no absolutely not no. this was going to be a temporary thing uh, you know, <laughs> sort of was, like let, let me get it out of my system while I can. Exactly. Yeah. Really. I mean, I just figured I didn't see it. It was just something I had to do at that moment. Yeah. I just couldn't let this moment pass. I, I without. I will regret it if I don't try. Absolutely. This. I mean, oh my God, it was like being. I you know it's a stretch, but you know uh, Paris in the twenties or something. Yeah. I just knew something extraordinarily creative was happening even if i was going to be a passenger or a, a backdoor sneak-in guy I, w- I wanted to be in i you know i just revered musicians i i was uh intoxicated by music i just wanted to be a part of it in some way i i would have been happy being a roadie for a band uh but i didn't see it as a career move i didn't i just never thought of myself as a a real musician i was i was quick to pick things up i had a good i have a good ear I don't have a technical facility, you know, that like, uh, for example, Roger Miller. And, yeah. Uh, you know, a flamboyant kind of technique. In sort of weird way, I consider myself very musical. How long does it take for that to go away, that, that feeling of sort of being like a passenger or maybe even like that kind of imposter syndrome? It went away? Uh, did it not? <laughs> no. I mean, in a sense, it's... At a certain point, like, it is, you, well, get, you get validation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, I, on the other hand, it's always... I've always just, uh, I mean, uh, I've just always sort of um, been just kind of hyper self-conscious yeah. in a way where I'm pinching myself saying, wow, is this really happening? Is this, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a difficult question to answer. I mean, there's always an element of fraudulence involved in everything I do. You know, <laughs> suspicions of fraudulence. You know, when when the band was going full force, it was our entire lives back in 80, 81, 82, 83. Yeah, we were definitely living the life. In a way, I was in... I was completely submerged in it then in a way that maybe I wasn't in the 2000s because in the 2000s I had an outside life with family and yeah. job and all all sorts of other uh, counterbalances, whereas uh, that earlier part, it was just, you know, we were totally in, you know. It was like a vacation from reality when the band got back together. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, it must have felt a little bit, uh, Burma must have felt a little bit different because at least that was really, you know, your bands, right? I mean, you were really, you were, you were so principal in it that it didn't feel like you were as much along for the ride. Oh, yeah. No, no. Once I started writing music, I, yeah. I definitely felt like I had more of, uh, you know, more skin in the game in that sense. But, um, uh, so yeah, no, that's definitely my band and Roger's band and Peter's band and to some extent Martin's as well. But, um, yeah, yeah, I just gradually got, uh. Um, more uh, involved. <laughs> so, but there's a sense when you actually start writing the music that it's something you're taking a little bit more seriously. Well, yeah. I mean, I was surprised that um, you know I was convinced I wrote my first song. My first song was Peking Spring. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I liked the chorus, and I thought, well, certainly, I I lifted that from somebody, right? <laughs> I mean. Somebody no I gonna, could write something that good. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to call me on this, yeah. aren't they? Aren't they going to say, "Well, that sounds exactly like yeah. blah blah"? When nobody did, and I wrote another song, and I, you know, two or three songs down the line was Academy. You know, these were yeah. really my very first attempts, and uh, it was just very surprising to that that uh, I, you know, I was pleased, and I, it, I found it a little hard to believe that I was actually writing music. So, um, but. I guess I guess I did, you know. And the fact that, you know, that those are some of the most iconic songs from, from the band. Yeah, I mean, I got really lucky with Peking. <laughs> I mean, I... <clears throat> you use the L word. You keep using the L word. Well, yeah, that plays a big part, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. How did you make that transition from being in somebody else's band to actually having your own? I was in the band, in Eric's band called... Uh, that was Moving Parts. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, Roger Miller joined as guitarist... And he was uh, a longtime writer of music, so he started contributing uh, songs to moving parts. And uh, I just connected so instantly and so deeply with Roger and his music. The closest I can liken it to, it was like uh, it was like falling in love. Really, <laughs> I was just so enthralled with uh, Roger's music. So he and I just started giving each other sidelong glances and <laughs> and kind of nodding it was towards really like the a exit, puppy, like puppy dog eyes. Well, yeah. no, it was more like uh, conspiratorial glances. Like, yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should think about, you know, getting out of here. And uh, so that's what we ended up doing. And there, uh, there were things you felt like you couldn't do in the context of that group. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, basically, Eric Eric's music was very interesting, very uh, compelling. Uh, it was keyboard based, and yeah. I just, I was just more, uh, guitars are everything to me. Um, it was just, I just was so um, besotted with guitar, guitar, guitar. Uh, so I wanted to be in a guitar band, and uh, so mucho respect to uh, Eric 
But, you know, and I think Roger the same, who went on to work with Eric further. But uh, Roger and I, yeah, just knew we wanted to start a band. Now, at that time, I wasn't writing music, and uh, I don't think Roger had any reason to expect that I would start writing music. But uh, as soon as we um, broke away and started working on stuff, I started contributing a little bit. And so then it became kind of apparent that it would be a kind of a two-headed composer model. And then uh, after the band was together a while, Peter started writing as well. After about four years, the band splits because of some health problems. Yeah, yeah. um, Tinnitus. Yeah, Roger's Roger's ears had always bothered him. Uh, Roger... um, in fact, moved to Boston to get away from loud music. <laughs> he, picked I, a, he picked the wrong career. Yeah, that was, the, that was one, of, uh, yeah. one of the great moves in uh, <laughs> ear health. Yeah, he moved to Boston to become a piano technician so that he could uh, tune pianos and uh, repair pianos and get away from big amplifiers and uh, aggressive uh, cymbal playing, um, only to be drawn back in. Yeah. You know. How hard of a decision was that to make? I think it was difficult for him. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, uh, you probably you couldn't continue on the band yeah, without yeah. him. Yeah, he said, uh, "I'm going to have to stop." Yeah. And he he didn't say what we you know he was. Yeah, he would have been. I don't know how he would have felt, but he didn't tell us that Mr. Obama had to stop or anything. But uh, we felt, yeah, um, if that's going to happen, let's uh, let's just call it. And where does that leave you? I mean, I wasn't heartbroken. Um, I it was interesting. In a sense, I, I kind of thought, well, all right, so we had our run. Yeah. Maybe it's time for something new. I was going through other big changes in my life. I'd stopped drinking, which is a big deal for me. So I was experiencing the world in a slightly different way, uh, to say the least. And uh, I was just open to change. You know, I was just feeling really good, for one thing. And uh, I just thought, okay. I was just kind of zen about it. And I just thought, all right, let's see what happens. I kind of expected to write a little music and do something with music, try producing or continue writing because uh, I really enjoyed it when I was, I mean, it was just a, an incredible experience to write music. Not so much playing. I wasn't dying to get back out on the stage. I was never, a, a, you know, just a stage hog kind of, I've got to perform kind of person. That was always sort of the necessary it came along with it, you know. Writing the music really was what I liked. So I figured I'd do that. But you know what? When this uh, big change happened, I wrote a bunch of music. But I could never make the leap into figuring out how to, what I wanted to do with it. Did I want to go in the studio and record by myself? Did I want to start a band? And I was just kind of like in this indecisive yeah. frame of mind where one year went into the next, into the next. And before long, uh, the writing stopped and uh that's when i decided uh the late 70s to uh that i wanted to perhaps go to grad school try something yeah i don't know how people do it the idea of really starting another band after you know you've you've gone through all of this with this this group of people and you've built that and i'm sure that like having been in the bands carried you know whatever cachet around boston that it did at the time but you would still really have to rebuild the building after the band yeah, and I was breaks way, up. I was just way too lazy for yeah. <laughs> I think. I mean, really. Yeah. How old were you at the time? So I was, um, I think I was uh, 20, 
I would have 27. 27. When the band broke up, I think. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a similar experience at that point that, that you did earlier on where it's like, if I'm going to go back to grad school and do this, I have to do this now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had kind of this built-in bourgeois kind of yeah. timeline in my mind about life and my friends were getting married yeah. and, you know, had gone through grad school yeah. and were, you know, kind of settled in, uh, you know, I was living in a... In a a basement, in yeah, Watertown. Sort of like, sort of like, you know, this is where I have to figure out if I want to be yeah, a twenty-seven-year-old I mean, yeah. dude starting late, new bands. The late twenties crisis, yeah, that, that is a you know pretty uncomfortable place to be. You know, like, yeah. What am I doing? What, what? And you stayed in Boston. Stayed in Boston. There's some schools around here. I've, I'm, I've yeah, heard. I mean, I literally went to the uh, Boston Public Library one night. I was working for a painter. And, for, uh, for like a, an artist? Yeah, a house painter. Oh, house painter. Okay. A house painter, yeah. which I loved. I, it was very, um, this. it was that so exotic sad. to me yeah. because it was just regular work and there was things called weekends and you kind of went to work and then you came home from work. This yeah. is all new to me. Yeah. I've been living upside down for, yeah. you know, sleeping all day and up all night for years and just living a, a parallel life. That, li- that life outside of work doesn't require you to think about work all the time. Yeah, right. Right. You don't take it home with you. Uh, yeah, no, no. It was so I, I rather enjoyed it. But then he, he started doing more and more roofing, and roofing is really, really hard work. It's for yeah. really strong people. Yeah, and I'm not that. You also must have realized that you probably didn't want to be a house painter for the rest. No, of No, I life. didn't. I, I was trying. I was. It was in a holding pattern. But anyway, I was after one of the brutally hot day that I. Yeah. I just went down to the Boston uh, Public Library. And went to their card, uh, the college catalogs, yeah. and just started leafing through desperately. I got to do something. <laughs> I got to change. Yeah. So yeah. So that's how that that was my moment of truth. So what what did you study the first time around, undergrad? English. English. And what did you study as a grad? Broad, broadcast okay. journalism. Uh, so it um, it's worked out quite. You know, I've been very fortunate. How did you decide that TV was where you wanted to go? No. Nothing? No plan? You had a calling in music. Oh, I knew I could write. I'd yeah. always been a good writer. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just figured it sounded interesting and fun. Yeah. yeah. If well, it worked out, and luckily it did. With sort of a concentration on journalism? Yeah. And bro- okay. So, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, at least at least there's, like, a clear path ahead. Versus, <laughs> well, I mean, versus, like, I know a lot of people who are, who are communications majors. Right, right. Which is just, like... Little to me, video, that, yeah. I mean, I was digital, a yeah, and I was I was a literature major. I, I didn't go to grad school. I was a literature major in undergrad, and that's the same thing. It's like, it's the problem of teaching people ideas, but with no clear skill set or no clear path forward. Yeah. At least like broadcast journalism, like there are jobs in the world. True. <laughs> How long does that actually take for you to actually once you actually graduate to actually? Start your first job. Uh, it worked out pretty well for yeah. me because I did an internship and uh, okay. I think the people took pity on me because I was so old. You know, by then <laughs> I was like thirty. Yeah, I was married. Yeah, it was like this poor, poor schlub. Yeah, let's see if we can get him some work. Was it awkward starting a new career at that point? Yeah, I mean, it felt totally, yeah. totally awkward because you were doing you know the work that like twenty two, twenty three year olds were doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was awkward. Yeah. But, eh. So you get an internship, and then from there, you're, you're just writing? Yeah, I was given more work and more work, and yeah. then, then got a job. What were you actually doing early on? Exact same thing exact I'm doing same now. Exact same thing you're doing now? Yeah, really. I was working for a magazine show. Yeah. Yeah, field producing. 
So you've really, so it's a, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? It's kind of bizarre. You're not uh, considering a new career path at this point. It sounds like no. Never been terribly ambitious. Yeah. So you you had already, you were already married at that point when you yeah okay. When was that was that part of the equation too of just like yeah I mean the whole thing uh, the whole thing is just. I'm married. I'm getting near 30. Yeah. What am I doing? I'm sure some of your listeners can relate. I think the math is different for a lot of people. I mean, I'm from a pretty suburban town, and the people that I went to high school with got married pretty quickly. I'm in New York. It's just not... Yeah. The timeline's not the same. Yeah. The, the pressure to... I mean, I'm lucky in that I've been able to write professionally for all of that time, but I, I, haven't, I haven't felt the sort of the... TikTok of the clock of getting married and having kids the way yeah, I think a lot beautiful. <laughs> I don't think it's the same. No, no, I fell madly in love. So yeah. I'm married. Okay. I'm glad I did. It, I'm still married. You did feel like... plus years, whatever it is. It wasn't, it wasn't the pressure of I'm yeah. 30 and at the American. No, 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 no. I was just, yeah. I was, I was a goner. At what point was it clear that you were going to like live the, like a pretty like domestic life? Yeah, I guess so. I, I had no problem with that. Yeah. I loved, I mean, I loved the fact that I loved Mission of Burma. I loved that experience. It was a total privilege. I never, like, grew up and disavowed my wayward youth or anything. Yeah. Even, you know, uh, getting sober and all that. Uh, God, I just had a blast. I mean, it, what a, an amazing experience to have been able to been there and done that, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, life filled up with good stuff. So I didn't think of it as particularly domestic or anything. Yeah. It was just... I was just enjoying my life, you know. Married to a beautiful person, started having beautiful babies. It was good. I mean, God. It's... But punk rock wasn't your, like, fuck you to your, like, domestic establishment for you. No, I mean, I like, I've always been proud. Yeah. Proud to have done that and uh, to have experienced it. And uh, very proud. Even those many years between the two uh, outbreaks, um, you know, it would come up from time to time or it would be mentioned by somebody. And I was... That was always kind of fun, but yeah, it's, pro- it's probably it's probably easier, I imagine, once you quit the drinking to to actually, you know, enjoy start life. A real- well, yeah, but also like ha- <laughs> have a, to have a life in a sense, right? And and yeah. it sounds like you caught that at a good point. I've been noticing this with a lot of a lot of friends over the past like five, ten years. Of you know, there, there's a point. There's kind of a point of no return that people get to when it comes to. Yeah, being career alcoholics. Yeah, was it hard to to quit in the middle of a scene like that? To be around alcohol that much? It sh- should have been. <laughs> Is anything hard in your life? <laughs> well, no. I mean, yeah, quit. Yeah, I mean, it was. There's all. Yeah, everything's. Yeah, yeah. everything's hard. But um, <laughs> uh, it was hard. I mean, yeah. The last year of Burma, I was wasn't drinking. I was going to a lot of AA meetings. Yeah, on the road. So. It's not uh, it's not the recommended path for newly sober people to be working in you know bars and clubs every night or out all the time watch, watching music, uh, but I was uh, I was such a disaster with the drinking that um, and I was so relieved not to be drinking that uh, uh, I think my attitude helped me. I was just uh, really uh, really uh, relieved to have gotten out. How do you realize, though, you know, in and amongst that with a lot of really drunk and sloppy people that maybe your relationship with alcohol is different? Oh, God. it's It has nothing to do with the, the context at all. I mean, I was, uh, you know, not to get too uh, AA on you or anything, but uh, 
Yeah, it was a disaster. I was just, uh, I was yeah. completely, uh, completely dependent on alcohol, and it was just very clear that I was, uh, I had no control, no control whatsoever. You've said jokingly a couple times that you're not a particularly motivated person, but you've you've been able to, you're able to hold it together in spite of all of that. Yeah, yeah, um, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. I uh, And the band stayed together. That's something. Yeah, the band. Uh, yeah, what, I, I don't know what I, what can I say. Were they were they supportive of that decision? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, that that's a big part of Yeah, a huge part. Yeah, no, we had to uh, we had to cease uh, operation while I went away for a little Yeah. tune up. And uh, so no, they were to- totally supportive. It always been uh, beautiful about that, so if they had not had the same kind of attitude, I, there's no way the band could have stayed together. Yeah, no, I, no, uh, Burma's have, have been, uh, we have, I, we have, we have a very, um, yeah. it was always very good chemistry between us. Even when the, the band goes away, you guys maintain contact? Yeah, I mean, not bestie, bestie friends, yeah. uh, uh, but we'd see each other from time to yeah. time. I just, uh, I just, uh, it's one of those situations where I think there was just a lot of mutual respect, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of ego uh, in terms of leader of the band kind of stuff, yeah. or do it my way, or I'm going to be pissed off. Everybody was exceedingly gracious to each other. It sounds like until you were actually approached to do so, the notion of really getting back together in any way, shape, or form was just completely kind of out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, um, yeah, it was totally out of the realm of possibility. Um, uh, because uh, I think we always prided ourselves on, to some degree, on something, the word is not quite right, but authenticity hmm. or whatever. That, I mean, we weren't entertainers. We weren't, uh, you know, out there to make audiences happy, per se, or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it was always kind of a self, self-driven self kind of unit we were, you know? We were just... Didn't want to sound like anybody. You know, we were just kind of into our own thing. And if yeah. you were along, awesome. And if you weren't, we weren't surprised. Um, but um, so, you know, I can't remember it coming up too much during the 90s or anything. But uh, it just never, anytime, it just never made any sense. Uh, the change for me was sort of out of the blue. I started... I picked up my guitar and I started writing. I started strumming it, and I started strumming an old song that I'd written after Burma. So there was always there was always a guitar around. You just no, not playing really. It? There no. was a guitar in my house, but yeah. it was in a closet. Yeah, it's like uh, so I a wasn't gun. a daily player or anything. I didn't tinker around. Yeah. What it was, Peter. I can't remember the exact details. Peter's band was opening for Shellac in oh, yeah. New York. And Peter needed a bass player because his bass player couldn't play it. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. That sounds like fun. I, you know, love shellac and, hey, what a lark. And I'm in bass, so I don't have to sing. And I'll just be in the back of the stage. But you're fun. the only person who's ever said that about playing with Steve Albini. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a lark. <laughs> oh, oh, no, he's, 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 that's a, he's great. He's a lot of fun. And so I did that. And it was fun. It was not like a religious experience. Yeah. But it did. It must have dislodged something. Yeah. Uh, because um, I got home and I pulled the guitar out of the uh, closet and started strumming this old song, and it was, you know, pretty good. I thought, yeah. 
I just connected to it, and I started working on it over the next couple of days. Pretty soon I was, you know, working on all sorts of music. It was just kind of flooding out, wrote a whole batch of songs, just kind of went into this altered state where I was waking up at 4 in the morning, composing before I go, going off to work. I was just, I was in deeper than I'd ever been, really, in terms of immersion and musical ideas. And that stuff ended up, I formed a band called Consonant with my old friend Chris Brokaw, and he pulled in uh, some of his pals, Cadane uh, and, uh, and Winston um, Brayman. And so Consonant was up and running. All of a sudden I was playing music again, not quite sure what to do with it. But, I mean, I was so into these songs, and I loved these guys I was playing with. And so the next time uh, a proposal for a Mission of Burma thing came across the screen, I don't know. I just didn't discount it out of hand. And uh, I think the other guys were surprised when I said, I'd consider doing that. It was for some gig in New York that never happened. So you were you were kind of the holdout? Yeah, because the other guys were in the music. You know, they were, yeah. all, they were active in music, and I don't think... They didn't have any particular objection. And, yeah. But, you know, for me, I just I wasn't in that musical mode. So, yeah, well, I think I, I was the, the last piece to the puzzle. So so two, two decades of not playing music, you didn't, you didn't miss it at all? No, I didn't miss it. Um, you know, for one thing, I was not, like I said earlier, yeah. I wasn't a look-at-me stage whore sure. kind of person, performer, performer, performer. Yeah. So I... Yeah, I didn't miss it. I was, I felt like, um, I think, I felt like we made our mark. It was nice that I would see references to us every once in a while that, uh, you know, our memory seemed not to have just vanished into the uh, dustbin of history. That, you know, people would, you know, from time to time say nice things about us or. I'm not even talking about, though, about the fame or the recognition, but just that. Playing this, music? Yeah, I mean, this is coming from somebody who, you know, I've never really made that major career change, but but the idea of having, you know, done something for a while that you really love to do and well, then cutting it off. I mean, I will say the, the um, process of writing music is very intoxicating, almost disabling. It's really a strange process for me, uh, and I did miss that. Yeah. That was such an intense experience that... Um, yeah, you, I suppose I, if you asked me, I'd say, yeah, I, miss, I guess I miss that. Yeah. But did I miss that? No, I was, yeah. I was just really content with what was happening in my life, to be honest. I mean, that's the, yeah. the most general answer. You had a creative outlet in your regular job. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's creative. <laughs> a little bit. When this change happens and you tell your wife you're going to be in a rock band again, was she on board? That's a good question. Yeah, it was uh, it was hard. It was actually um, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a big. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was a. It was. It's a big element to inject into an already full life. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had two young girls. <laughs> yeah, and um, to suddenly go from, you know, Mister Peeper's suburban dad to. All right, now I have two bands. I'm going on tour with this one yeah. in April for a week, and then yeah. I'll come back, and then, then we've got a series of shows. And She didn't sign up for any of that. Understandably. <laughs> she said, 
Um, I'm really happy for you, <laughs> but yeah. uh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, no, it, no, she, uh, it was a, it was, I, I liken it to uh, the Mormon polygamist who uh, goes home to his wife with a cute young thing and says, <laughs> meet Sally Sue. Yeah. This is going to be great. Yeah. She's uh, joining the family here. Uh, aren't you happy for me? And she's like, ah. She had a vote, though, I assume? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so what I, what I, was, what I would say to her was, this is temporary. Yeah. It's not going to be forever. It's happening now, but it's not going to be forever, and it'll calm down soon. Because the Burma thing was only supposed to be a couple of gigs. Yeah. She ended up being rising to the task and being lovely about it, and uh, I'm forever grateful because uh, people at work were cool, too. They allowed me a little bit of space. Uh, and we're very tolerant. Hi. Hey there, big guy. They were very tolerant, but mostly, most of the give came from my wife. Yeah. She was, uh, and so we survived. It was, it, but it was a challenge. Yes, I mean, she's super enthusiastic about the music. She loves that I, you yeah. know, did it, and she loves the consonant stuff. Uh, but I had met her after music. She, yeah. uh, she and I fell in love. It was when I was post post uh, music. I suspect too. You know, there there's a sense of validation on her on her end when it's like, oh, oh, this is actually something that people are really interested in. This isn't just this isn't just an old guy reliving some of those. I mean, maybe it is to some yeah. degree, but yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, like no, this I is. I think she recognized yeah. that you know it was a real thing. Yeah, exactly. And she didn't want to deny me an opportunity to experience all that. Uh, she was genuinely. Uh, but it, a lot of it, it put a lot on her. I mean, yeah. it put an awful lot on her. So uh, I was asking for a lot. Where are you with the music thing now? Right now, well, the the um, the composing outburst died down after a few years. I would say by uh, it lasted about five years. So Burma has been performing. I think our last shows were. A little over a year ago, I'd say right now we're in indefinite hiatus. Yeah, is what we decide to call it. We we um we did a series of gigs last spring, early summer, and um, they were fun. They were great, but I haven't been contributing new songs. Roger doesn't want to write all the songs. That's just not who Mission of Burma is. Yeah, uh, and so we just looked at each other and thought. Uh, maybe, maybe we should just cool it for a while. Ne- never say never. But we may have played our last gig. I don't know. We may or may not have. I don't know. You don't feel like you need a sense of finality when that happens. Nah, you know, no. we did a big finality thing in '83. <laughs> we did. I mean, you know, we decided we were going to break work up, out, but <laughs> and we uh, well, you're right. Yeah, how how well did that work out? And we did, I don't know, four or five shows in in cities and announced it was our last yeah. show. And it was a hoopla. It was really kind of a circus here in Boston, for sure. And uh, we don't want to do that again. We're, we're just It's got to be nice, though, the, the difference now of just having that as a kind of a thing that can could possibly happen at any given point. It when, is. It's great. Yeah. It's great having it as a thing. I love, I love the fact that I was in Mission of Burma. Yeah. But also having sort of the possibility of yeah, that, playing that it's whenever. Yeah, that is there. Yeah. 
I mean, we don't hate each other. <laughs> Everybody's good. reasonably healthy. Yeah. We're in reasonable proximity, even though I'm the last Burma in Massachusetts. They're in the general area, Rhode yeah. Island and Vermont. Yeah, yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll have... See, I think my songwriting, like uh, one of those uh, periodic infestations of cicadas, you know, yep. 17-year cycle, yeah, the, uh, something. The locust. So yeah. by that, yeah, the locust, <laughs> by that count, I'll be... Uh, Maybe in my early 80s okay. when the next uh, blast comes. Yeah. So stay tuned. You never know. You don't feel like there's a point when it's you're just too old to do that? Oh, yeah. I definitely think there's a point where they're too you old to You do haven't it. passed that point? No. But, that I mean, we're all cognizant of that. Yeah. Nobody wants to become ridiculous. And I think we can all see bands out there that, that just look ridiculous and are sullying there. Did, did it feel a little ridiculous the first time when you got back together? No, I was afraid it might. It was a total, there was a lot of, there was a deep-seated terror yeah. that it might be ridiculous. Yeah. There absolutely was. And that was one of the, part of the motivation to uh, rehearse as hard as we did. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's in the back of your head when you're in your 60s and you're playing uh, this kind of music. At what point does it become Yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, I, I look at uh, so many bands carrying it off. I mean, the primary example, Wire. I mean, they're just so dignified. It's just awesome. And yeah. they're just up there, and they're not trying to be teenagers. They're doing this very rigorous, intentional music, and it's just beautiful. And uh, ours is a bit more sturm and drang. But, uh, you know, I like to think that we, you know, aren't being silly up there we're just kind of digging in yeah. you know and just just digging in and and getting in inside the music you know without a lot of a lot of uh bogus theatrics or anything they've also got the momentum and the i mean also the fact that they haven't really put out about record also helps but momentum is different no, than getting a, together every couple truly of years a phenomenon yeah yeah I mean, there's there's no there's no cobwebs to dust off yeah, they're just very um they're just very honest. Yeah. That's a very honest kind of music, very yeah. authentic. There you go, those Clint Conley of Mission of Burma. Very much enjoyed that conversation. It's nice having somebody on the show who doesn't have anything in particular to promote, who's just generally happy with his uh, situation and the life choices that he's made over the years. Uh, if you are interested in checking out his television work, he is a producer over at WCVB. You can check that out in the greater Boston area. And of course, there's uh, a lot of Mission of Burma music to dig into. And, and who knows, maybe someday they will uh, get back together when they're 80 years old. So a few decades from now, you might be seeing a live Mission of Burma show. Uh, thanks so much to him. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. That was uh, recorded at Harvard Square in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is why you heard a lot of acoustic guitar being strummed in the background, a couple of trucks and a small child coming up and saying hi at one point. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like RIYL, please consider rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That is very helpful for us when we try to go out into, into the world and request perfect strangers for the program. Uh, you can uh, send us a little money over on Patreon if you have something to give. Like us on Facebook. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr 
That's riolcast.tumblr.com. That's the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. And uh, I think that's about all I got for this week. So uh, thanks so much and stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. 